Today we talk about creation. God created. That's the important truth that I want us to dwell on is that this world is his creation. Made by him, for him, with his purposes in mind. It is his creation. It is his world. Let's look at John chapter 1. We're going to be, this, all this fall and winter, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. The first 18 verses of John chapter 1 are commonly considered a prologue to the rest of the Gospel. And so the majority of what we're going to talk about in this short four-week series, what you need to know about the world, comes from this prologue, the first 18 verses of John's Gospel. So let's read it together. We read it last time we met. We'll read it together. Again, this time it goes like this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him and apart from Him. Not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. We'll talk about that today a little bit. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this is the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. We talked about that in in week one. Indeed, We have all received grace upon grace from his fullness, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. John, when he sits sits down to write his gospel, he jumps right into it. He gets into some really, really big topics. He talks about God and who God is. And last time I tried to go through some of the different things that John reveals about God and about God's nature and his character and his work. And there's so many things in here that that are revealed about God in just these few short verses. But he also talks about creation. What is God's relationship to creation? He is the creator, That is his relationship. If you have the handout or if you want to take notes and follow along, here's our main idea today. God created the world to reveal himself and to invite us into relationship with him. God created the world to reveal himself and to invite invite us into a relationship with him. Let me give you some justification for that statement. I think most people, most theologians, let's say, or even Christians, if you ask them why God created the world, they would uh, probably instinctively use the word glory. They would say that God created this world for his glory. So why didn't I just say God created this world for his glory? Well, I think what I am saying is that God created this world for his glory, but I want to be more specific 
and even more practical in what it means that God created this world for his glory. How does this world give him glory? What was his intention when he created this world to show his glory? This, this is how I believe the world gives him glory. That he, through this world, he reveals himself. He makes himself known. And he invites us into a relationship with him. That's how God is glorified in his creation. He's glorified by revealing himself and by inviting us into relationship with him. So God did create this world for his glory. And this is how he is glorified in it. Okay, so that's the main idea, the main point. Let me break that down. Nothing I say today is going to be super sophisticated, but it is ultimately so important that we stop and think about, when we think about what's going on in this world, we have to think in terms of, well, this is God's creation first and foremost. And so what is going on in this world is that God is revealing himself and that he is inviting us into relationship with him. So the next thing on the handout, God created the world. That seems obvious in this context, but let's not miss its importance. God created the world. In the first three verses of John chapter 1, he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Here's the problem. You and I already know the answer to the question, but when John wrote these words, he did not start by defining who he was talking about when he says the word. He says the word is God. So is this God the Father? Well, we already have established earlier in the series that God is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. So what is, who is the word? That answer doesn't come until later in the chapter, in the later verses. But the answer comes that the word is Jesus of Nazareth. This man who was born into this world, who, who did supernatural things, who died a gruesome death, who rose from the grave, he is the word. And so you could say in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Some things that are important. The word existed before creation. Jesus existed before creation. God and his, his triune nature existed before creation. He is not the result of creation the other way around. Creation is the result of him. The word was and is God. Word indicates revelation. Here's the tricky thing about the gospel of John is he throws out some things. He uses language that you're like, man, that seems... Um, on the surface, you're like, I get it. And then you start to think about it. And you're like, that's a little bit deeper than I realized. But then he never really sets boundaries for how deep it really you're supposed to take that. Like this, this idea of Jesus being called the word. Obviously, there's some depth to that. But we don't know how far to take that and how far to run with that. But I think it's safe to say in calling God the word, the the, I, the concept of words indicates revelation. We make things known with words. We reveal through words. God wants to be known. He wants to be known. He is revealing himself. 
He is revealing himself through the word. He's revealing himself through the creation that the word created. He reveals himself and he wants to be known. Let's go back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. The first five verses of the Bible, you have to assume this is incredibly important. Like if if you're going to write something as important as the Bible through which God is going to reveal himself and his will and his, his, his nature and his plan to mankind, you got to think he's going to start with some important words. That's exactly what he does. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So we see there's at least two members of the Trinity here. We know from John 1 that all three members are, are, of course, involved. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning one day. Let how, God, how does God bring things into existence? He brings them into existence by simply speaking them into existence. He uses words. Here's, here's the depth of that concept that John introduces in his gospel. The begin, in the beginning was the word. In the, in the beginning were words. This idea of word is extremely important to the idea of creation and of God's nature. He speaks things into existence. That is unbelievable power. The thing that is overwhelming to me about creation is the fact that it is overwhelming in and of itself. It's, it's completely beyond comprehension that any of this could ever exist. And yet the Bible tells me that God made it exist simply by speaking it. All it took for there to be light in the universe... All it took for the sun to come into existence. Stop and think about when I say the sun, this is just an incomprehensible object in our universe. I mean, the fact that there's this ginormous ball of gas that we can't even begin to understand that has been burning for as long as humans has, have existed and is showing no signs of going out. I can't comprehend that. The, that came into existence by God simply saying, let there be light. Let there be light. And the sun comes into existence and stars begin to burn Unbelievable. It is unbelievable. We also see in the first five verses of Genesis that creation is good. That's really important that we get that, that creation is good. It was the way he wanted it to be. It was, it was his plan is starting to take shape from day one. Let there be light. There's light. He looks at the light and he goes, yeah, that's good. That's good, I like that. And there's day and there's night on day one. When I was sick, I was watching um, 
I watched this series on Netflix called Our, Our Planet. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that. Um, it's got a very strong climate change agenda. I'll just warn you if you go to watch it. But what was absolutely amazing about it was that our planet is amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, there's just, they spent uh, several years filming this. And with the technology that we have today with drones and cameras that can record at night and just all the crazy stuff that we can do with videography, they, they have captured the beauty of our planet like nobody else ever has. And they put together this series to show us how amazing and how special our planet is. And there was just so many things that were blowing my mind. I didn't even get through the series, but there were so many things that were blowing my mind. There was this one scene about flamingos. Has anybody ever seen this? Just nobody has seen this. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so now I'm twice as excited, right? Because I was afraid I was talking about something you had already seen. Okay, so flamingos. Um, in Africa, in, in the desert somewhere in the middle of Africa, there's this huge, like it used to be a lake or something apparently, and it's, the ground is basically just like salt, and it's nothing. Like as far as you can see, there's nothing there. It's just, it's just barrenness, complete barrenness. And then like once every 10 years, it rains enough that there's like this much water across this whole salty desert. And for some insane reason, millions of flamingos from up to a thousand miles away, this is, this happens up to like a thousand miles away, fly to this lake and then they, they take their, their little, um, their webbed feet, and they build these little mud piles about this big around and about that high up out of the water. And they lay eggs, and they give birth to millions of flamingos. And then these little guys come out of these eggs, and they're just these, they're like little baby ducks. And then life just multiplies, and the water begins to go away, and these flamingos disperse back to wherever in the world they came from. And I'm telling you, you're watching this video, and like you, you cannot see the end of the flamingos. There's just this huge desert turned lake birthing flamingos. And this was just like one scene out of these miraculous things that are happening all of the time. My point in, in telling you that is that creation was created good. God had this incredible plan that he, he built into birds and all creatures these instincts that multiply life and create beauty in this world. I mean, we talked about the sun. You know, if the sun was like 10 feet closer to us, we would melt. And if it was like 10 feet further away, we would freeze to death. And yet God has placed the sun right where it needs to be, just enough to, to make the grass grow and the tomatoes to ripen and all the incredible things that happen in our world. God did that. He had a plan that you and I could never even, we can't even comprehend it, let alone could we have invented it. He did this. It's unbelievable. And he did this by speaking it into existence. A little bit further in, in Genesis chapter 1. I'm doing time-wise here. 
A little bit further in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, and then I'll skip to verse 31. It says this, then God said, this is after he had created um, pretty much everything that's a part of our universe. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. The command that the Bolowitzes are taking extremely seriously, and I'm thankful for that. And subdue it and rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. And then verse 31, God saw, saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, then morning, the sixth day. So God creates this world that sustains life and he creates the birds and the fishes and all this crazy stuff and vegetation. And he says, now let's get serious because I'm creating this world to reveal myself. How am I going to reveal myself? I'm going to make one creature out of all of creation, one creature that is made in my image according to my likeness, and that is man. You see, man is unique among creation because we are image bearers of God. Now, theologians debate what exactly that means, that we're image bearers of God. But it doesn't take much to realize that we're unique among creation. There are no animals like us. There are no other creatures like us. There, now, we're going to talk about sin and how that has impacted certainly their there we do some really bad things but god makes man unique and he makes him in his image to reveal himself and to invite us into relationship with him we because we're created in his image because we are created unique we can have a relationship with god that the rest of creation can't those flamingos don't have the ability to have an intimate relationship with God the way that we do. This is how God is revealing himself. He makes nature and he makes man. How would you reveal yourself? How do you reveal yourself? We express ourselves in a number of ways. When I was in uh, elementary school, there was, I had done really well the first couple years of elementary school. If you looked at my transcripts, um, you notice a, a tra- trajectory that goes in the wrong direction, though, once I get like into high school and stuff. But I'd done so well in elementary school, they had, um, they had a, a class that was called the enrichment class or the gifted class. And they're like, man, this kid's doing so good on his scores. Maybe we should put him in the gifted class. So like for a couple of days in a row, they take me into the guidance counselor's office and they give me these IQ tests. And I don't know how I'm doing on these IQ tests. There's a lot of really weird questions. But after these tests are done, they determined that I was, in, in fact, qualified for this, this gifted class, this enrichment class. So a, a couple periods a day, they pull me out of the, the regular classroom with all these apparently stupid kids that aren't smart enough to, to be in a classroom with me, and they put me in the, they, get this, they call it the gifted class. Like, what a horrible way to separate eight-year-olds from one another, right? And one of the first assignments that I had in this gifted class kind of ties into what we're talking about here today. I was 
to reveal something about myself that's very important if you're going to know anything about me, and that's my name. I had to create a sign that I could use. I could use any materials I want. I could make the sign any way that I want, um, but I had to, to put my name on it, and I can't remember what we were going to do with these. We would put them on the front of the desk or something. I'm not very creative, and so I did um, what probably a lot of kids would do is I took glue and yarn, and I put, like, I spelled out the letters of my name, F-R-E-N-D, with glue, and then put yarn on there. It was beautiful. Like, it's, it was so pathetic, right? And I was so proud. I was like, here I am. I'm, in the, I'm with the gifted kids. I'm like the smart kids class. And I get to reveal myself. I get to express myself. And, 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 and I get done with this project. And my teacher looks at it and she notices something contrary to what she had expected. And that was that I spelled my name not F-R-E-D, but F-E-R-D. <laughs> which doesn't spell Fred. It spells Ferd. And I just imagine the disappointment in this. I mean, this was, I mean, this was back in, when, like, remember Doogie Howser, MD? If you're too young for Doogie Howser, he was, like, this super genius who was a medical doctor by, before he graduated high school. I mean, I come into this gifted class, and the teacher has expectations like that. Like, this could be the next Doogie Howser that I'm teaching, and he can't even spell his name right. And the poor teachers are probably like, I think, I think we got his test results mixed up and put him in the wrong class. There's another class for kids that can't spell their names. It was all downhill from there, I promise you. God has a better plan than Ferd to reveal himself. He does. When he wants people to know him, he puts into place a plan that, that is, is twofold. Let me, this is the next thing on the handout. It says this, God reveals himself in the world through witnesses. And I want to talk about two different witnesses that God uses to reveal himself. God reveals himself in the world through witnesses. The witnesses are, first of all, nature. This is the first witness that you and I encounter when we begin life in this world, we are, we are subjected to the witness of nature. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. Creation itself is revealing God. It is the heavens, the skies, that's the heavens are declaring his glory. Declaring that God is God. That he's big. He's, he's incomprehensible. He is beyond all knowledge. He is glorious. You cannot escape the witness of nature. You can't get away from it. It is constantly declaring the glory of God. Recent, I went to Lernerville uh, on Friday night like we like to do on Friday nights. And what's really cool, if, if you've never been to Lernerville, it's a, a dirt racetrack in Sarver. Um, you, all the stands are on one side, the racetrack in the middle, and then behind you is this beautiful horizon. And we've seen 
just tremendous, um, you know, it's just, it's beautiful to look out and when the sun is setting and when the moon is coming up. And uh, on Friday night, the moon was coming up and it was as orange as I have ever seen the moon. It, it was like, it was like Charlie Brown Halloween special orange. I mean, it was so beautiful. What was so cool about that was in front of us was man-made stuff. Very appealing, entertaining, man-made stuff. There's dirt track races going on. And yet, in the middle of this fantastic show of what man can do, God steals the show. And the heavens begin to declare the glory of God in the midst of man's work. And you, you couldn't escape it. You couldn't take your eyes off of it for very long. We kept looking back to and, and talking about the moon. Why are we not talking about what man was doing? Because God's glory was being declared in a way that was inescapable. Romans 1, 18 through 20 says that there's an accountability that comes with that. This is very important to understand when it comes to the human experience. Romans 1, verse 18 says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of, of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them. It's evident among them. This is... This is People debate this, right? I want to talk a little bit about that in a second. But I want to make the case that, it, that this is true, that what can be known about God is evident among us because God has shown it to us. He really has. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Now, that does not mean that every man, woman, and child admits to the existence of God or that every man, woman, and child celebrates or rejoices in the existence of God. As you well know, plenty of people in our world deny the existence of God. I believe that their denial is, in fact, the result of the existence of God. The reason that we deny his existence is because we want nothing to do with him. It is not because there is not sufficient evidence to point to his existence. The very fact that at this point in human history, let's say, I mean, the last time that God was physically manifested on the earth was when? 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ himself was on the earth. Since then, he's just been using the normal means by which he reveals himself. And here we are 2,000 years later, and even people who don't believe there is a God talk about him all the time. It's because you cannot escape the evidence of the reality and the existence of God. That's what the Bible says, and I believe that's absolutely true. I watched a movie uh, this weekend called The Outpost on, on Netflix. I still have a Netflix account. I'm sorry. I'm here to repent. Um, but I watched a movie on there. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm supporting child uh, exploitation or something. I don't know. But anyhow, I watched the movie. I just got myself into some hot water there. Um, called The Outpost. It's a very heavy movie about a battle that took place in the war in Afghanistan. 
And what happened was the U.S. military, I don't know why, I wish they explained it in the movie, I don't know if it's out of arrogance or just bad planning or what, but in the middle of the the Afghanistan mountains, the U.S. military built an outpost at the bottom of some really big mountains. It is the most vulnerable thing, place that you could possibly put anybody. Uh, It's just, it's it's unbelievable that this ever existed. It doesn't exist anymore um, because of what happened there. Um, very predictably, the Taliban descended upon the U.S. military and um, caused a, a lot of, a lot of um, casualties. Um, what was interesting, there was, a, there was a scene that stuck out to me in this movie uh, because here are these U.S. military men and women uh, in the middle of just a really... What I would, what we would maybe call a God-forsaken place. There's just really not a lot of evidence of the goodness of God in this place on the earth. You're kind of out in the desert, surrounded by mountains, in a place where people live um, very savagely among the Taliban. And there's this scene where they're discussing the existence of God. And of course, the conclusion that they're coming to in this movie is that God could not exist because of the situation that we're in. What was interesting to me is that why are they even considering the existence of God? And I think the answer is because the heavens declare the glory of God. There is nowhere that you can go on earth that you will not think about God. There's nowhere you can go on this earth where you will not think about God. That, to me, is one of the strongest evidences of his existence. There's a lot of things. If you, if you lived there for any period of time, there's a lot of things you might forget about. God's not one of them. You will continue to consider his existence because nature is a witness to who he is. Okay, so that's one witness. I said there were two. The other one is this, people. His image bearers. Every human being that has ever existed bears his image and reveals his existence and reveals parts of his nature and and his character to the world. Think about the Old Testament. When God wants to further reveal himself beyond the witness of nature, what does he do? He approaches a man, a man named Abram. And he says, I'm going to let the whole world know about me through you. He makes this incredible promise to Abram, who would later become Abraham. He says, you're going to have kids that are going to have kids that are going to have kids. And through them, the whole world is going to know about me. And here we are. Thousands of years later, we all know about God because he revealed himself first through Abraham. And through Abraham came the nation of Israel. And the purpose of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament was to reveal God to the world. And the the nation of Israel had specific people called the prophets who spoke directly and specifically about God and from God. And they brought messages that were considered to be from God. Then when we transition to the New Testament, excuse me, now you have to understand that it has been about 400 years since God spoke through a prophet. And in the New Testament, the first thing he does is he raises up a prophet. He raises up John the Baptist and he sends him with a message. 
And after John the Baptist comes Jesus, and after Jesus comes the apostles, and after the apostles comes the church, us. Here we are in this chain of succession of people tied the whole way back to Abraham. What God began through Abraham, he is continuing to do today through you. We are his witnesses revealing him to the world. John chapter one, this is how uh, John says it in his gospel. In verse four, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, let me just make sure we're, we're all understand this. The gospel of John is not written by John. It's written by the apostle John who comes after John the Baptist. This in verse 6 is John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So John the Baptist comes, Jesus comes. After Jesus are the apostles. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, Jesus gives this command, this commission, we call this the Great Commission, to his disciples, to the apostles, after his death and resurrection, before he ascends into heaven, before he leaves this earth, he puts the mission of revealing God to the world in the hands of his followers. He says to them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Then he says, immediately before his ascension, in Acts 1, verse 8, but you, he says this to all the believers gathered there now. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God created this world to reveal himself and to invite us into relationship with him. How does he reveal himself? He does, through, he does so through nature and the heavens declaring the glory of God and the beauty of nature and the complexity of nature and the, just the amazing way that nature works together points to the fact that there was a designer, that there was somebody who planned all of this. He reveals himself through nature and through witnesses. And who are his witnesses on the earth today? It's not Abraham anymore. It's not Israel. It's not the Old Testament prophets. It's not John the Baptist. It's not Jesus. It's not those apostles whom Jesus handpicked. It is us. He reveals himself to this world through you and I. That's incredible. It's incredible. One, that he did, chose that means. Two, that it actually works. That he actually works through us. Okay, then the second half, this will go much quicker. I promise you we're in the last few minutes here. Um, and don't ever believe a preacher when he says that. God invites us into relationship with him. So creation existed for him to reveal himself and for him to invite us into relationship with him says in verse 12 of John chapter 1, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, 
to those who believe in his name who are born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. You know, sometimes we say things like, well, we're all children of God and stuff like that. And there's a sense in which that's true that, that human beings are unique amongst creation, but there is a sense in which that is absolutely not true. And it is the important sense in which it is absolutely not true. The one that really matters is that we are not all children of God because we are not naturally born children of God. In fact, Jesus looks at his hearers one time and he says, hey, uh, you guys aren't children of God. You are the children of your real father, Satan. And it's important to make the distinction between the image of God that is innately born with all of us in the be, becoming true children of God, which only comes through salvation in, in Jesus Christ and by believing in him and receiving him, being born again into his family. We'll talk more about that and how, to, how that comes about in week four. Remember, four-week series, God, creation, sin, salvation is week four. That's when we'll talk more about that. But now I just want to make the point in regard to creation that this is a big part of the reason why God created the world. He wants sons and daughters. Not because he needs them. He needed nothing at the beginning of the world. He did not create this world out of need. He created this world to share the abundance of his glory with those whom he would create in his image, human beings who would believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. He created this world to invite us into relationship with him so that he can share the abundance of his glory and his joy and his peace and his comfort. That's what it means to come into salvation, to enter into a relationship with him where we become partakers in his goodness. So the conclusion is my main idea. I just want to make sure this is abundantly clear. God created the world to reveal himself and to invite us into relationship with him. I want to invite you into relationship with him. If you do not know him in that way, in the way that only comes through accepting what Jesus Christ did on the cross, which was to die for your sins, which we get to talk about more next week, to accept what he did on your behalf to reconcile you back to God. Let me give you a little teaser for next week. So what happened God exists, God is, God created. He made this world to reveal himself, to invite us into a relationship with him. But sin enters the world through man and all of creation is stained and tainted and affected negatively by sin. So there's a need to reconcile us back to God's original plan for creation, which is for us to be in relationship with him. And that only comes through believing in Jesus Christ and receiving what he did while he lived on earth as a substitution for what God required you to do. So the application, and then I want to read one scripture and I'll I'll, I'll wrap us up here. The application is this, worship and kneel before God our creator. He's, he is a worthy God. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of submission. 
He is worthy of our lives, of us giving everything that we have and everything that we are to know him, to reveal him, to walk with him, to enjoy him. So worship and kneel before God, our creator. Listen to what the psalmist in Psalm 95 verses 1 through 8 says. This won't be on the screen. You can just listen as I read. Come. Let's shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let's enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let's shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. And the depths of the earth are in his hand. The mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's worship him. Let's give him the rightful praise and honor that is due him because of who he is. He is the creator. He made this world so that we would know him, so that we would have relationship with him, and so that ultimately we would join him in eternity, celebrating and partaking in all that he is and all that he has to offer. Let's pray as the worship team comes to lead us and worship before this great God. Jesus, you are the word the word who was with God and the word who was God and is God. The word who created this universe. And yet you are the God who humbled yourself and came to this earth and became man. Took on human flesh so that you could live the life that every one of us has failed to live and so that you could pay the price that none of us can bear to pay in going to the cross to die for our sins. And now you give eternal life. You extend this invitation of eternal joy, of intimate relationship with the God who created us. And so we bow before you. We worship you. And we say, Jesus, you are God. You're worthy of all worship and of all praise. You're worthy of our lives. We love you. We celebrate what you've done. We thank you for making this world to reveal yourself to us and for inviting us into a relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.